Okay. Well, I understand and I've kept up with bits. I must confess, I haven't listened to them all yet. It's hard when you're travelling. But uh, I've kept up with news a bit uh, on this series. The Holy Spirit and you. And my theme today is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to read uh, from the scripture that speaks about this from the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It's one of those profound things in scripture that now we and people believing the same as us all over the world are being built to be where God lives now by his spirit. Well, the idea of temple is a very strong one in the human psyche. Most religions have temples or their equivalent. You know, I sometimes get opportunity when I'm travelling around the world to actually visit different holy places. You know, as a tourist, you do get the odd day off. Um, some of them are absolutely magnificent. And the idea is a holy place where people can honour their God. Now, there's other words in English describe the same thing. Shrine, sanctuary. And indeed, the word used for temple in the scripture we were just read was not the te- word used for the temple in the sense of the big building in Jerusalem, but it was actually the shrine, the inner part of the temple, when previously people wouldn't have been able to go because it was too holy. So when it says you're being built into a temple, it means you're being built together into the innermost place where the dwelling of God is Now, I like to always teach through stories. You might say, well, how are you going to teach through stories of this? Well, I'm going to tell you the stories. Sometimes it's good to look at an individual story in the Bible. Sometimes it's good to look at the story of the whole Bible when it comes to the theme we're teaching. So we're going on a journey from Genesis to Revelation to look at this idea of what it is to be a temple. Because the whole of the Bible is a story, And one of the great themes and stories in the Bible is the story of the temple. And it's important to understand this because that's the background to what the Bible says about what we read, about being built together into a temple. Indeed, now I rarely disagree with Tim who puts these series together. But this one actually doesn't quite fit the title of the series. Because it's not the Holy Spirit and you. 
It's the Holy Spirit and us. It's a corporate thing. Actually, it's a big problem in the English language. Do you know that? Most languages have a word for you, which means you personally, you singular, and a word for you, which means you together. Modern English, old English had it, thee and you, thee and ye, but modern English doesn't. And so often we confuse when we read the Bible because we think of something's for me. It's actually for us. So, for example, when it says in Ephesians chapter 5, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That's plural. It means don't be a community drunk with wine, but be a community filled with the Spirit. So this is the Holy Spirit and you, or us, as a community. The Holy Spirit and us. Now, the very first temple, actually, was not a building at all. Because a temple is where God meets with men and women. And where was the first temple there for? Come on. The Garden of Eden, yeah. That was the very first temple. It was a place, in fact... That was the idea behind it. Genesis 1 and 2, don't give us a scientific explanation of exactly how the world came into being. It, it actually sets out what we need to understand about the, the world that God had created. And it's, it's, it starts with the first temple, a garden. The Garden of Eden, where God met with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. It was planted by God. It was beautiful, refreshing. Full of fruit trees and flowers and rivers going out to bless the rest of the world. That was the idea of the temple. The temple was God meeting with us and blessing going out to the rest of the world. And the presence of God was to be enjoyed there daily. Tragically, the temple got spoiled through sin and Adam and Eve got put out of the garden. And there was an angel set to guard the way to the tree of life. That's important for the whole story. Now, later, when the Israelites came out of slavery in Egypt, they were concerned for God's presence. And so Moses in the desert built a special tent, which somehow we call in English the tabernacle, that's just an old-fashioned word for tent, right? Okay. But it's the word that's often used. And because there was this tent built to designate the presence of God with his people. And actually, it was the presence of God that was important. Because Moses said to God, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Do you often feel that way? You know, as I travel around the world, if your presence doesn't go with me, well, no point in going. Because you go to work tomorrow. Why don't you say to God, let your presence come with me? And he will. If your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know you are pleased with me and will people? Unless you go with us. The presence of God is his favour 
And he's pleased with us. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? That's massive, isn't it? In one sense, we're no different from anyone else. We've been we've done wrong just like everybody else. We're weak like everybody else. But what distinguishes those that know God is however weak we are, the presence of God is with us. Well, and God's presence in those days was demonstrated in a fire, in a cloud, and in this tent or tabernacle. And, that dem- and the tabernacle was based on God's pattern and was like a garden. Again, people miss this, but if you look at what's engraved in, the t- in, the tab- in, in that tabernacle, that tent, there were engraved fruit trees and animals and gold and uh, perfume was there just like in Eden and there was a curtain separating the holy place where God's presence really was and on that curtain was engraved an angel saying don't come any further just like in the garden of Eden the whole thing was modelled on the first temple And even though they weren't allowed into the fullness of the presence of God, there was still a tangible sense of God's presence. God's presence is to be felt and experienced, not just believed in. Because it says this, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting or the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord Filled the tabernacle. Well, next time they thought about temples was under David and Solomon. This is about uh, 500 years later when David wanted to build a temple to God. He wasn't allowed to, but his son was, Solomon. And Solomon again built an amazing temple. Again, decorated with trees, flowers, animals, a garden. Again, on the curtain, there was angels there to say, don't come in any further. And when the temple was dedicated, again, God's presence came down. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, he is good. His love endures forever. Well, later on, the Old Testament prophets, they're the guys from Isaiah through to Malachi in your Bibles, they prophesied about a temple to come. Isaiah, for example, said this, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. In other words, this will genuinely be a temple for the whole world. And they could only think in terms of coming to the temple 
as we will see, when it was fulfilled, the temple went out to the whole world and every nation. Another prophet, Ezekiel, in chapter 47, had an envision of an amazing future temple, and this temple had a river going out from it. Just started with a tiny little trickle. And then, the further it got away from the temple, the deeper the river got. And then it went to the Dead Sea and transformed it so that there were fish there. What an amazing vision of a temple. But this didn't quite fit the thinking, because we think the closer you get in, the deeper the river of God's spirit will be. But this is turning it upside down and saying, no, the whole point of temples is to have a blessing that takes mission to the whole world. And the further you get away. Sorry, I'm not saying don't come here. But, but what I'm saying is, the further you're involved in the mission of God to transform the world, as the river of God's spirit goes from the temple, the deeper the experience of the presence of God. That was a picture of that. So the temple experienced leads to mission to all nations. All nations can only come to the temple if there is a church, a place where the true God is worshipped in their nation and city. Hence, we've got to plant churches everywhere. Okay, along with all, many other streams and denominations in the body of Christ, we've got to plant churches everywhere. Some of you really need to seriously think about that, you know. Especially in nations that have never heard the gospel. Wouldn't it be great if we had a whole load of people from this church going to places where the gospel hasn't been preached so that people there in that nation or city can experience the presence of God. Now, when Jesus was here, Herod the Great had rebuilt the temple. There was the magnificent building in Jesus' day. And the people thought, all we need now is the Messiah, the Christ to come, overthrow the Romans, and all will be well. We've got a temple. Actually, the Messiah did come. But their thinking about the temple had been completely wrong. Because when Jesus came, Jesus is the temple. Where did God meet with people when Jesus was here? Was it in the temple in Jerusalem? No. Jesus had to deal with that. He had to sort of kick over the money changers tables there and all the people selling things. And Jesus himself was the temple. The temple came out onto the streets. The temple was now on the streets, not in Jerusalem. When Jesus came, the whole idea of temple simply as a building was now totally obsolete. Now, it's on the streets. People 
who couldn't go into the temple experienced the temple. Remember there was a lady who'd had a, with gynecological problems, who'd had blood flowing for 12 years. Now, under the old laws, she couldn't go into the temple. But the temple came to her and she was able to touch the bottom, bottom of Jesus' coat and instantly healed because she could encounter the presence of God because the temple is on the streets and the temple touched the lepers and the temple touched all those who had been rejected and not allowed into the actual temp building temple because the temple is now out there to touch everybody's life. Very different. And Jesus talked about that. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. What's that talking about? Not the temple in Jerusalem, which they misunderstood, but actually the temple of his own body. And he said to a woman in Samaria, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain where the Samaritans worshipped, or in, nor in Jerusalem. Jesus desionized worship. No longer is it in a place. Now it is to be everywhere. But a time is coming and has come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. They are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. And then when Jesus was in the temple, the disciples, because it was a pretty impressive building. Yeah, these, these massive buildings are amazing. I'm impressed by them. To understand the disciples. They said, look at this amazing building. And Jesus said, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. But when he died on the cross, when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, Jesus on the cross, that wonderful song we sang, the old rugged cross. He gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from the top to bottom. At that moment, now, the angel guarding the way to the presence of God is also no longer needed because... When Jesus died, everything that would separate us from God, namely our sin, completely dealt with so that we're free now to run into his presence. You see, the barrier of the first temple of Eden, the tabernacle, Solomon's temple, Herod's temple was torn. Access to God is possible. One sacrifice has been offered. Never anymore. The presence of God is open. We worship God through the new temple, Jesus Christ. Furthermore, rivers of blessing will go out from all those who experience it. Jesus said, we went, to, went to one of the big feasts of the Jews. It was called the Feast of Tabernacles, which meant everyone lived in tents for a few days to remember 
that they were living in tents when they went out of Egypt and went through the wilderness for 40 years. So everyone lived in tents. Now, I know some cultures here don't like living in tents. Okay. <laughs> it's something that the English quite like and the, and the Dutch quite like as well. In fact, they do it even more than the English. But at that time, the Jews all came out, lived in tents. And then on the last day of this feast, they had this ceremony where the priests would bring massive buckets of water, not buckets, or huge vessels, they just about carry, and they would pour it out as a memory of the water that was provided miraculously when they were in the desert. And... At that moment, as the water was being poured out on the last day of the feast, it says Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Anyone thirsty? I expect some response to that. <laughs> Come on. Anyone thirsty for more of the presence of God? Anyone thirsty? Yes. Let him come to me and drink. But then, he said, I keep forgetting, I'm back in England now, aren't I? I, I, I have to contextualise and not expect much <laughs> people sort of speaking back to me. And let them come to me and drink. But the point isn't our drinking. The point is, from them... Rivers of living water will go out to bless the world. If you come to Jesus, the new temple, drink of the fresh, new, living, life-giving water that he gives. Then, from you will go the rivers that bless the world. It's important to understand what temple means in the Bible, to understand this important description of the church that we read at the beginning, consequently, you are no longer, read it again, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This scripture which we read describes the church of Jesus Christ in the plan of God. Firstly, this is God's plan through his church. Firstly, all nations are one family and one new nation in Christ, through Christ. The context of the scripture is a multiracial, multisocial church, which is just what we want to be. Okay? And we, it's even more important today when the forces of nationalism are growing again, not only in, all over the world. That the church stands for all nations united in Christ. No discrimination, no racism, no anything like that. They're to be built on a foundation laid by apostles and prophets. That's still needed today. It's what I do all around the world. I'm teaching what's the foundation of the church based on the plan of God where he promises all his blessings to the world through Christ 
Every promise fulfilled in Christ now worked out in those who are in Christ living the purposes of God. Jesus Christ himself is the centre of it all and everything honours him. He is the cornerstone. The cornerstone was the most important. We often sing that song, but what does it mean? You know, someone coming in saying, well, why are you worshipping a cornerstone? <laughs> well, because in ancient buildings, that was the most important part of the building from which everything else took its shape and character. And the church is now the inner temple where God lives by his spirit. Not a building, it is people saved from different backgrounds. So what does it mean for the church to be God's temple now? Well, firstly, and this you've dealt with earlier in the series, each believer in Jesus receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit in a tangible and powerful way. So it is individual in the sense that each of us receive the promise of the Father, that is, the power of the Holy Spirit in a tangible way. Each believer has free access right into God's presence, wherever you are. And there's evidence in all the gatherings of the churches that God lives by his Spirit. How do we know? Well, in the Old Testament, it was by fire and clouds. In the New Testament, it's gifts of the Holy Spirit are in evidence. Because it says... If someone comes in, an unbeliever comes in, and you're all prophesying, he'll say, God's among you. So, which is what the next point is. Unbelievers sense the presence of God and are led to follow and worship God because they see evidence of his presence. It means believers are equipped to function in the power of the Holy Spirit outside the church meeting, in their jobs, in their family life, and in their evangelism. What it means to be the temple of the Holy Spirit now. And it happens through us being joined together and rising to become this holy temple. We're not just individuals filled with the Spirit. We're joined together. In the churches of the Roman province of Asia to whom Paul was writing would have been Jews and many other ethnic groups, free people and Roman slaves, women and men, poor and rich. And all were to be joined together together. Joined together, the temple is as we're joined together from all these different backgrounds. So, the temple is a very important theme throughout the Bible. Now, we can have access to the presence of God and enjoy his presence wherever we are. But the church gathered is expected to be full of the presence of God. Not just a formal church service or even a Lively, informal church service. <laughs> it's whether the presence of God is there. Presence of God is not just a feeling. It transforms our life and blesses the world. We started in Genesis, the Garden of Eden. Let's finish in Revelation, which speaks of the future, but also is the ideal for us today, Eden restored and more. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men. He will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. That's the temple. 
That's the temple today. And the temple is closely connected in scripture with the mission of God to transform the world. The Bible promises the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. Anyone else can finish that for me? As the waters cover the sea, which means everywhere. And that's why church, churches must be planted everywhere. That's why we need many, many, many more churches. I'm encouraged we're working in 80 different nations. I'm encouraged all the churches are being planted. But the temple of God has to be everywhere. The temple of God came out of a building onto the streets. The temple of God must be walking the streets all over the world to touch people's lives, <coughs> to enjoy his presence, to experience his gifts, to be individually filled, but then corporately filled. As I said at the beginning, don't be a community drunk with wine, but be a community filled with the Spirit. That's, that's what it's saying. Singing to one another. Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Making music with your whole heart to the Lord. Can we stand? And can the band come back, please? <coughs> Now, I'm going to do something a little bit non-English, okay? This is the Holy Spirit and us. If you're happy to do so, if you're a guest, don't feel pressured. Just put your hands on the shoulders of the people next to both sides of you. Come on. Okay, don't worry, no, this is important. Because that scripture says, it's not just me enjoying the Holy Spirit. It is being built together. And God is saying, just as you're holding into one another different just who you happen to be sitting near, different nations, different ages, different backgrounds. God's saying, I'm building you together because I want to, God would say, I want to be amongst you. I want my presence to be tangible. I want yes, you each individually to be baptised in the Holy Spirit, but also I want you to be a community, totally filled with the presence of God, able to take that presence wherever you go, because the river goes out from the temple to bless the world. And I'm calling some of you to think, where will God use me in the future? Where will I be involved as the temple fills the whole earth? But Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. He's the one we focus it on. It's not in the end about us. It's about him and his glory amongst us.